Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. Bad is not going to leave you alone just because you are a good person. Bad makes its living trying to make you forget about what is good. Bad doesn't care that you go to work on time, give to charitable organizations, and help old ladies across the street. Oh no. What you call bad times, bad experiences, and sometimes bad people are going to find their way into your life. Working its way into the lives of good people is what makes bad so bad. Bad is not going to pass you by because you have an I love you bumper sticker on your car, own a string of rosary beads, or know how to meditate. Get real. Bad is going to show up in any disguise available in an attempt to beat you up, knock you down, run you over, and tear you apart. Good. Show bad that you are made of good. You are made of divine power, infinite wisdom, pure love, and powerfully piercing insight. Show bad that you have unshakable faith and staying power. Demonstrate to bad that you are put together with the unfathomable intelligence of the chief architect of the universe, who issued a lifetime warranty on the durability of your goodness. Put on your faith. Until today, you may have forgotten that you are good enough to withstand anything that you may call bad. Just for today, flex your faith muscles and shake your good fist in bad's face. It's here, in the Archbishop's Corner, where Archbishop Leonard Blair reminds us to put on faith to face the bad. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for sharing your time and welcoming us into the Archbishop's Corner. How are you today? Very well, thank you. Well, we've got to start out by acknowledging that today is Mother's Day, and although many view it as just another Hallmark holiday, it's one of those days that we should all stop and take notice of the special woman or women in our lives that have been there for us through thick and thin. And they say that Mother's Day yields the highest church attendance after Christmas Eve and Easter. Why do you think that would be? Well, I'd like to think it's because the motherly influence in the family is, uh, includes a, a sense of uh, religion. And I think also because this is a two-edged sword, that on the one hand, it's because mothers tend to be of a generation, older mothers anyway, that are still church practicing, and whereas uh, younger, not so much so, that uh, it's an impetus for people perhaps to go to church. I, I hadn't heard that before, that this is a higher church attendance day. But, uh, and I don't mean anything against younger mothers, but I do think that the older generation still has a higher sense of church participation, and that might, uh, that might be the reason why uh, mm. it, uh, it, it leads to more attendance at church. And perhaps also maybe because um, even if our mothers are, are deceased at this point in time, we're remembering them and connect the fact that, that for many families, the mother is the one that transmits the faith to the younger generations. And we're thinking back about them and, and therefore want to celebrate their life in a special way on Mother's Day. So what better way to celebrate their life than to go to church in their honor? Pray for them. 
Yeah, to pray for them, for the repose of their souls if they're Mm. deceased. Well, that's true. But, you know, remember, a a lot of recent studies have shown that uh, the father actually plays an extremely important role in the religious development of children, more so than perhaps we have thought or given credit. But, uh, well, obviously, both parents, it's very, very uh, crucial. Ideally, sure. Tomorrow is Peace Officers Memorial Day paying tribute to local, state, and federal law enforcement officers. Flags are flown at half-staff in memory of those officers who have made the ultimate sacrifice. Of course, we here in Connecticut remember Sergeant Dustin DeMonte and Officer Alex Hamsey of the Bristol Police Department who were shot and killed in an ambush on October 12th of, of last year. Can you talk a bit about the importance of the church supporting the work that the police do in, in our communities? Well, the church believes, uh, has taught uh, that society needs to be uh, uh, ordered in, a, in an appropriate way and uh, that, uh, you know, a just social order very much includes law enforcement. I mean, we're, we live in a sinful world where not everybody uh, lives by the law of, of charity and justice uh, and peace. So uh, I know that in the country today, there are controversy many times about the use of force by police. And when it is not appropriate, it's, when it's, it's wrong, it's wrong. And we, uh, we can't tolerate that. But I think the police would be the, the first to say that such a kind of um, misuse of force, for example, or whatever is, is inappropriate. Uh, but that is certainly not true of the vast majority of, of our police. And so... Naturally, we should, we should uh, first of all, have respect for authority and for the authority they have, and also that we should be law-abiding, and we should uh, be grateful to them for putting their life on the line uh, to ensure that we are, have a, a peaceful uh, a community and one in which uh, uh, lawlessness or crime doesn't prevail. We, so we're very grateful for that. Uh, and, for, you know, I mean, th- those kinds of jobs have always been associated with a public service and a sense of, of, of putting your life on the line even for the sake of others. And that's a very admirable thing. We used to celebrate, uh, prior to COVID, we celebrated a blue mass every year in honor of uh, police officers. Are we going to bring that back? I don't know. The attendance at it was not good at all uh, in the cathedral in Hartford. Yeah. And uh, we'll have to see uh, whether what uh, comes of that. Needless to say, we should always pray for our law enforcement people. Certainly, even the scriptures, you know, the the apostles uh, talked about St. Peter, I think it was, or Paul, talking about praying for those in public authority, ensure the well-being of uh, society, and so we have to do that. But again, you know, police are human beings too, and sometimes uh, corruption or violence or prejudice can enter their ranks. And they would be the first to say that, that there's no room for that in their, in their uh, administration of their duties. We always have to be vigilant in every walk of life that we have the right people for the job. Wednesday is World Telecommunications Day. It's a day to celebrate the constant evolution of one of the most important factors of our lives, that is communication. The main goal of this day is to highlight the importance of communication and how information travels across the world. It also aims to increase awareness of how crucial communication is in our lives and stimulate the development of technologies in the field. Someone said to me that they thought one of the greatest threats to interpersonal communications today was the cell phone. Any thoughts about that? Well, like anything, uh, it's a two-edged sword. You know, 
everything we have in the world uh, that we do can be used for a good purpose or a bad purpose, or something that is good can wind up, if it's not proportionate to our life, can wind up leading to an imbalance. Uh, and so obviously the modern means of communication and all this, now we're talking about artificial intelligence and all these things, yeah. we have to be we have to be discerning uh, and vigilant about these things because we have our God-given intelligence that can be put to, to good use or bad use. And the things we develop can be put to good use or bad use. And so uh, because we live in a sinful world where where there are temptations to use things the wrong way or whatever, uh, we have to be we have to be careful uh, about it. But I, yeah, I do think obviously the cell phone is a very convenient thing. It fosters greater communication, but it can also be used for bad purposes, or it can become an obsession, or it can become uh, out of balance with a, with a healthy a healthy life. You and I have have talked in in the past about seeing families go out to dinner and instead of talking with one another, they're all on their cell phones talking to other people at a distance. Rather than fostering interpersonal communication, they're talking to somebody else distant from the people that they're with, which is not a good thing. No, clearly. And I think it's generally recognized that this is a problem. You know, sometimes we get things that we become obsessed with. That's part of our human weakness. That's the great problem even with uh, the web uh, all the things, the good things that can be used for, but the bad things. So we just have to be disciplined ourselves. I mean, if you come from a healthy, emotional, and uh, balanced environment, uh, you know, it's a, it, it really ultimately is about self-control and self-discipline and a discernment of the, the right use of things because that's crucial to uh, moral responsibility and health is uh, the right use of things and the balanced use. Thursday, May 18th, is Ascension Day, the 40th day of Easter. Ascension Day, one of the earliest Christian festivals dating back to the year 68. Now, according to the New Testament, Jesus met several times with his disciples during the 40 days after his resurrection to instruct them on how to carry out his teachings. It's believed that on the 40th day, he took them to the Mount of Olives, where they watched as he ascended to heaven. Ascension Day occurs 10 days before Pentecost, and it always falls on a Thursday. But some dioceses celebrate the Ascension on the Sunday after Ascension Thursday. Why would that be? Have you thought of making the change in the Archdiocese of Hartford to celebrating on on Sunday instead of Thursday? Well, Ascension Thursday is a Thursday, obviously, in the way Scripture describes what happened. But uh, for the sake of uh, celebrating when more people can be there, it's some dioceses transfer it to a Sunday. In fact, most of the dioceses in the United States do. Here in the Northeast, we do not. And uh, some of our priests are asking whether we couldn't do what the rest of the country does, or most of it, by doing it on Sunday. And they say partly it's because we just, with the number of priests we have, it's increasingly difficult to keep multiplying masses for especially since compared to the past, very few of our Catholic people, relatively speaking, attend Mass on Ascension Thursday. They just don't go, even though it's a holy day of obligation. Yeah, this has been talked about. I, I don't know exactly. It, it, it could uh, be moved to Sunday, but uh, at this point, uh, there's no active move to do that. Let me ask you about this, because bishops of the United States created a three-year plan 
to revive and foster Eucharistic devotion and adoration in dioceses and parishes and the hearts of the faithful. In believing in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, that the bread and the wine at Mass truly is transformed into Christ is what makes Catholics different from other Christians. Now, the celebration of Corpus Christi, the most holy body and blood of Christ, is coming up on Sunday, June 11th, less than a month away. Are you calling on parishes in the Archdiocese of Hartford to celebrate that day in any special way since we are in the process of celebrating the, uh, this special Eucharistic devotion during these three years that the bishops have called for? Yes, well, I, perhaps we've talked about this before, but, uh, you know, Corpus Christi, as the Latin name means, the body of Christ, and by implication, the body and blood of Christ, uh, both uh, the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, as you note, which is a, a, a Catholic uh, doctrine, uh, and really a Christian doctrine from the beginning, but not all have maintained it through the years. And by the way, it's not just the Catholic Church, the Eastern Churches Eastern Catholic and Eastern Orthodox fully uh, have never abandoned this uh, teaching, uh, mm-hmm. nor have we, about what what is truly uh, the body and blood of Christ. Bishops uh, are trying to reinvigorate this faith among our Catholic people. And uh, this year, especially, we, we're beginning a parish phase on the Feast of Corpus Christi. Um, and the, I've encouraged all of our parishes to make a special effort to do the the traditional Corpus Christi procession and to do so even outside the church building because uh, in Catholic cultures, as many tourists know from their travels in Europe, uh, Corpus Christi is celebrated with a procession in, the, in public, in the street. And that's not uh, always possible or easy to do here in Connecticut. But uh, in those cases where parishes can come together and make the necessary preparations, it's a display, a manifestation publicly of our Catholic faith in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. So last year I did this in Waterbury, uh, and they walk, uh, the procession is between Todos Los Santos Parish, uh, the former the St. Anne Church, which is part of Todos Los Santos Parish, to the Basilica in Waterbury, in public, outside, in the streets. I did so when I was bishop in Toledo in some of the towns we did it. And this year, whether it's of that nature or it's just in the parish itself, I'm asking all of our pastors to please uh, make an effort to do this Uh, and to do it in a way that uh, is accompanied by a proper explanation to our people, proclamation really of uh, the doctrine of the the, uh, real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And I think we need to at a time when so many people don't think that going to Mass and communion is that important or who are not prevented by health or circumstances from going to church and yet just watching live streaming or TV without receiving Holy Communion, we want to emphasize the importance of this realism, you know, that this isn't just something to be looked at or just a symbol, but it's to be, you know, take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body. Take this, all of you, and drink of it, for this is my blood. And, of course, whether we receive both species of bread, uh, body and blood or just the body of Christ, it's the whole Christ in Holy Communion. Now, in terms of the procession, you mentioned procession from one church to another church, or ideally, what should the procession entail? Should there be a certain length? Should no, it certainly really, be outside the, the, the church? Because there, there have been parishes that I've heard of in the past 
who had done a procession just within the inside of the church itself and not go outside. Well, that's true of most places. I, I think the public one outside uh, depends on the, the traditions of a given community or town. I mean, when I was growing up in Detroit, our processions for Corpus Christi were indoors and within the church, just around the inside of the church. So that's, that's you know, part and parcel of the, of the tradition. But the older tradition, and depending on culture and, and geography, was a more public display, and uh, especially in Europe, of course. When we were in Italy, we, it would be frequently that we would see these Eucharistic processions going outside the church and going around the, the community. Huh? Yes, in Rome, uh, the the Pope goes from Saint Mary Major, uh, excuse me, from Saint John Lateran Basilica to Saint Mary Mary Major Basilica in an outdoor procession. The road is closed, and there's a big procession. So, uh, I mean, here in Connecticut, I'm not saying that every parish can or or should do that, but I've I know of at least one community that is going to have a outdoor public procession. I'm going to do it at the cathedral this year, and we're going to go uh, outside. We're not going to go uh, too far afield from the church, from the cathedral, but we're going to do it outside. Well, let's take a look now at our gospel reading on this 14th day of May when the church celebrates the sixth Sunday of Easter. We're still within the Easter season, and our reading for today is taken from the 14th chapter of John's Gospel. After this dramatic presentation, then we'll ask for your thoughts, or treasures. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you desolate. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Archbishop, this is John being very theological in his writing. Help the world understand what is being said here in this scripture passage. Well, it's John relates to us uh, the words of Christ on a deeper level, I guess you could say, a more theological level than we find uh, in the other Gospels. He records these discourses that the others uh, don't necessarily have. But it is a matter of uh, preparation for Pentecost. I mean, Jesus is talking to his disciples after the resurrection and saying that uh, that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them, the Spirit of the tr- of truth, and that they will no longer see Him because He's ascending to the Father, but the Holy Spirit will lead them into all the truth. And uh, so this is, you know, what happens with Pentecost Sunday and then the life of the Church until the end of time, that the gift of the Holy Spirit, Christ's Spirit, is with us to lead us and guide us, to prevent us from teaching error and to uh, uphold us in teaching what is true. Jesus says that he will not leave us orphans. I will come to you. Jesus is with us, as we know, in the sacraments for sure. 
But I think most people want to know if, if Jesus is with me, for instance, in my pain, in my cancer diagnosis, in my broken relationships, in a, in, in a divorce. And if so, how can I count on him being there for me? Well, it's a matter of uh, this relationship with Christ through faith. And if we are people of faith, we simply know that uh, God is always uh, with us, um, and we have to, uh, through prayer uh, and through a life of, of faith, through the sacraments, we have to remain close to him. I, I think for people who have faith, people who do pray, he, people who do go to Mass, people who do go, go to confession, people who receive the Eucharist, people who make a conscious effort uh, to practice charity and forgiveness— uh, I think no explanation is necessary. They, in their heart of hearts and in themselves, know what a life of faith is. And people who don't, we can just constantly invite them to come and see and to enter into that kind of life. I think it's very affirming that the Lord says, I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. So, so that no matter what the pain might be that we experience, no matter what the hardship, no matter what the challenge, we know that he is, is with us. Yes, Archbishop, uh, let's take a look now at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. For instance, Allie from Meriden says, What does it mean to be joyful in the Lord? Is it possible to have Christian joy without being truly happy? Well, Allie, I'm not quite sure how to answer. Um, Jesus says that in the world you will have trouble, uh, but he says, I'm also giving you a joy that no one can take from you. So, you know, when people are... Uh, sitting in a Nazi prison knowing they're going to be executed or sitting in a Roman dungeon waiting to be thrown to the wild animals because they're Christian, uh, you you can't say that they're happy-go-lucky, <laughs> you know, mm. uh, in that sense, uh, kind of in a superficial way. But uh, that doesn't mean that they don't have a peace and joy within themselves that this world cannot take away from them. And I think this is something that is really only understood by those who who live that kind of life and who experience it, you know, that there's this this joy. What does it mean to be truly happy? Um, you know, sometimes I remember Mother Teresa talking, what do they call that book, The City of Joy, that these people living in, in India in really destitution almost, living mm-hmm. with the most bare means of life, and yet finding she found in their simplicity and their relationship to one another, she found a tremendous joy. Um, So that doesn't mean that we should all be uh, poor. That doesn't mean we should just have only the bare necessities of life. But but it does show that that you can't depend on, that that, that true joy is not to be found in in material things or in uh, an abundance of, of material things. But it's to be found in, in, in a, at a deeper level. And sometimes people who have very little actually can be more attuned to that joy than people who have too much. Erica from Roxbury says, I understand that Catholics pray to the saints and to Mary for intercession, quite like we ask our brothers and sisters on earth to pray for us. But here's the question. If only God is omnipresent and all-knowing, how can all of them hear millions of different prayers from millions of different people at the exact same time? Well, Erica, that is a, a question that does boggle the mind. You think of the Blessed Virgin Mary, who is just as much uh, a individual 
uh, person as you or I, and yet in some mysterious manner, uh, we, we, can't, we can't possibly fathom what it means to live in, in eternity or to be in a, a glorified state uh, such as uh, heaven and the angels and saints with God. That is something we can't comprehend, but yet, clearly, or even Christ himself, of course, that's a divine person. But nevertheless, uh, it, it is so that we, we feel we can, we can be heard, our prayer can be heard beyond the bonds of this world in such an extraordinary way. Rich from Middlebury says, Where does the concept of a church arise among Jesus and the apostles? I don't remember hearing about churches in Jewish history, and I'm wondering if Jesus intended to start a new church or if his primary intention was to reform the Jewish faith. Well, I think history speaks for itself and the Gospels speak for themselves in that regard to suggest that Jesus had a, some different intention than what, as the Son of God made flesh uh, and the eternal plan of the Father, uh, that, that somehow that's uh, not realized in what actually happened. Uh, you know, would it would not be, uh, uh, I think, an authentic or realistic interpretation of what happened. And certainly Jesus did say, uh, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, my ecclesia. This is uh, so, but of course, church, that word in that context, had not yet developed into what we uh, have experienced uh, over the centuries completely. It doesn't fully reveal all of that ahead of time. But it does refer to something that is, in fact, the church. When we say, how does the concept of the church arise among Jesus and the apostles? Well, I don't think God experiences a, a, a rising concept. I mean, we have to understand that all of Scripture from the beginning, through the whole history of Israel, uh, is uh, an, a, a prophecy and an anticipation of the church, which fulfills all the Old Testament prophecies. And, and all that happened to the people of God. The, you know, we can say that all of Scripture is really about one thing, and that is about Christ. Uh, that's our Christian faith. Without, while we have great respect for our Jewish uh, forebears, the faith of Abraham, but it all ultimately is about Christ. So it's not like that some concept arose in the mind of Jesus or the apostles, but rather, if you look back at salvation history, it's all uh, integrated into a great revelation of a mystery uh, from the beginning of our salvation. Ellen from Southington says, Recent news about celebrities who chose to end their own lives opened my eyes to the problem this has become. I was shocked to learn that suicide is one of the top ten most common causes of death in the United States. What has happened to make this unacceptable action much more common, and what can we do about it? Well, Ellen, sadly, the, what has caused this is that society used to say to the person standing on the bridge, don't jump. Mm -hmm. And now our society is saying, well, if you want to jump, go ahead and jump. Now, I'm, I don't mean to be, belittle, you know, what is going on or to mock it, because the people who argue for suicide would say, oh, well, that is very different. This is a circumstance of uh, suffering, etc. But the reality is that where assisted suicide is, is legalized, there's a great uh, increase in the suicide rate. And we have a huge problem with, with young people committing suicide today. If you're in that kind of mental state of distress and everyone is telling you, don't do it, don't jump, and society is saying, this is not the answer, that is a restraint in your temptation to do it. But if 
society is saying, well, in, you know, if you're really hurting or in this circumstance or that, well, you know, suicide isn't necessarily wrong. Well, then you are creating a very different atmosphere, a very different moral climate. So I, it's not surprising that suicide is one of the 10 most common causes of death in the United States, as you point out, because we are opening the, we have opened the doors. And I can tell you that in places where it is legal, that's where the suicide rates show uh, a rise. Or when you see the spread of this places in Europe where it's not just terminal illnesses and such, but even young people, it's, it's a very, very bad thing. And uh, it's part of this culture of death that Pope St. John Paul warned about. And uh, we, are, we are blind if we think otherwise. And haven't we failed one another if we don't reach out and embrace those who are hurting and in need of, of comfort and recognition that sometimes life is difficult, but I'll be there with you and I'll be there for you so that you don't have to resort to something like suicide? Certainly. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing? Lord God, as we continue in the joy of this Easter season, we pray that we may be continue to focus on uh, your, your promise to be with us always until the end of time and your promise which has been fulfilled to unleash the power of the Holy Spirit in the church and in our lives. We pray that in our own engagement in this world and in society, we may be uh, courageous witnesses, bold witnesses to the truth of the gospel, to the moral truths that uh, are part and parcel of our Catholic faith. And may Almighty God bless all of you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for sharing your time with us in the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward to joining you again next week. And until then, enjoy this week. No, thank you. <laughs>